taken the conversation from your turntable to this podcast. Welcome in to the Vinyl Community Podcasts. What's up, buddies? Concert buddy. Thanks for joining us today on Vinyl Community Podcasts. What you're about to listen to is a conversation that started with my good friend Rob over at Northern Revolutions on YouTube talking about vinyl regrets or regrets, R-A-G-R-E-T-S, depending on where you're listening to this show from. In essence, what that means is in each of our respective collecting journeys, there's been things that we wish we could do differently or do-overs or records we saw that we should have purchased and now going back there's just no way for a lot of reasons very interesting conversation a little back and forth between rob and i on the topic and then we are joined by steve the harmless rebel also on youtube to kind of weigh in on the topic du jour and then finally the sex magnet himself vinyl richie joined us to bring this topic to a rousing conclusion hope you enjoy this show buddies thanks for tuning in while we do a live stream Throw like a very limited kind of bees to honey situation. My man Rob here at Northern Revolutions came in, jumping, jump first, first call to action. I know he just got off of the Glenn Calloway conversation, so he is he's warmed up, he's lathered up, he's ready for this. Ready. And we got some practice questions in because I'm too stupid to realize when to hit that go live button. Which, I mean, by now you would think. I, I think this is probably the fifth time I've done this. You would think You'd that. Think. Uh, yeah. Well, you know. Again, I'm not the not the coldest beer in the fridge, as they say. One minute later. But let's go to 2013, that movie, We're the Millers. And again, we already practiced this whole routine. Sorry, before we went live. But it's <laughs> the so Jason Sudeikis movie, Jennifer Aniston. They're like the makeshift family. You know, he's a pot dealer. She's an adult dancer. They're, anyway, I'm not going to give it. But anyway, the, the one real takeaway is there's a young man cast in this movie He's like the Kid Rock type character. He's only a momentary character. And he has that tattoo across his neck that says, No Ragrets. R-A-G-R-E-T-R-A-G-E. Hang on. Help me out, Rob. R-A-G-R-E-T-S. Something like that, yeah. Bingo. So it's not it's not regrets how you really spell it. It's, it's anyway. So that got me thinking. I'm like, ah, I kind of feel like live streaming. It's been a minute. What 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 are you going to talk about besides bad NSYNC and Backstreet Boys stories? other than vinyl regrets or things that from your collecting areas. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> See? Right. No regrets. No regrets. Oh, hey, what's up? <laughs> we got novice Nick. Hey guys, good to see you hey, both. Nick. I saw you, Nick, on the game stream. Yeah, a few minutes. Yeah, a few minutes. Um, so that was kind of the, the muse to what I'd like to talk about here is for a little bit is vinyl regrets. And that can mean, Something you saw and then pull the trigger on, uh, something you bought that was a bust, whatever. So for, for the audience's sake, I know we've already had this first question before I figured out to hit the live button. But Rob, what is – oh, actually, I'll kick it off with mine. That's how we did you it, right? I, yeah, yeah, I got to remember the performance, right? So so the one that really inspired this for me was – let's call it about five or six years ago. I was down in uh, – Los. well, I guess down. I was in Los Angeles at, at Amoeba Hollywood. And if you ever been to Amoeba or seen the videos on YouTube or whatever, they have all their expensive, grail, hard to find, rare, whatever you want to call them, records up on the wall. You got to ask for somebody to get them down and that sort of thing. And so five, six years ago, last time I was, it might have been last time or time before. Actually, it would have been a couple of years ago because it was for my 40th when I did the Amoeba Triangle. I went to all the Amoebas. I went to LA. Well, I, actually, I went to San Francisco first. Then drove to Berkeley and then flew to LA. Anyway, see that's that's what a goofy collector I am. So I'm in LA, and they've got the Megadeth Countdown to Extinction record, the MoFi. It's only only way you can get that record on vinyl, with the exception of a like a Brazilian press, maybe a blue a UK. I kind of get it confused with the Euthanasia record. Regardless, it's up on the wall. It's hundred fifty dollars. Very tempting. Not cheap. Not terribly expensive, but at the time, this is pre-COVID. This is before the the vinyl nonsense. Still, one hundred fifty bucks is a lot to spend. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's not like I'm you know wiping my behind with hundred dollar bills or anything, right. right? So, something to consider. Plus, I in the lead up, I I knew about this record, and I knew there was some kind of conjecture on Discogs of whether or not it was the original mix or if Dave Mustaine had changed some of the mix. Blah blah blah. 
didn't buy it. And now, fast forward a few years later, post-COVID, everyone's buying records, etc. It's a $500 record. Kills my soul. So that's how we, that's how this conversation started before we went live. When we're, we're in the green room. <laughs> let's, call, right. let's call it the green room. That's right. <laughs> yeah, Harmless Rebels, Steve is exactly right. That's a great price. $300 now doesn't sound great. No. See, this is what I'm talking about because there's so much conjecture as if it sounds good and, you know, it's got that MoFi. So you, you, back then you're conditioned to think that was the best of the best. And I obviously know there's a little bit more uh, uh, ingredients in the kitchen, so to speak. But Rob, tell me, tell the audience, tell mm-hmm. the, the fine folks listening, what was a vinyl regret of a similar van for you? There, there's been a few. <clears throat> the one that, the one that always pops into my mind immediately when I think about this is Cheryl Crow's Tuesday Night Music Club. It's a record store day release from, I want to say like 2015, something like that. It was pressed on blue vinyl. To the best of my knowledge, it's the only time it was pressed on vinyl. Love that album. It didn't, I didn't find it on record store day. I'm up in Canada for those that don't know me. And a lot of the time, not everything makes it up here. So <clears throat> often I'm I have to resort to Discogs or eBay. And at the time there was multiple listings for it on eBay, like 40 bucks, 45 bucks, whatever, which is a great price. The the thing that always gives me pause when I buy records off eBay is shipping. Shipping mm-hmm. kills us. Sure. <clears throat> because you know it's 35, 40 bucks to ship a record from the US to Canada, and you probably get ding customs and brokerage and duties and all that kind of stuff so i said to myself this 45 dollar record is going to cost me 80 bucks 90 bucks whatever Eh, i don't know maybe i'll find it in the wild so i never pulled the trigger on it and now it's a 500 hundred dollar record all day long i've never seen one in the wild i don't own one and if i had if i had saw one now and it was 90 bucks or 100 bucks I wouldn't even think twice. Pull the trigger. Oh, it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. And what's more heartbreaking is what I told Rob backstage was when he shared this one with me. Uh, I've seen that record. I own that record. Not a flex, just being honest. But I've seen it two other times since. And the first time was uh, when I worked at the Swoosh. I was up in Portland. And there's a great record store there called Music Millennium. And this was like maybe a month or two after Record Store Day. So it was pretty fresh still after it was released. They had a used copy. It was open from shrink in the bin. It could have been a play copy for the store. Could have been somebody bought it and said, eh, you know, don't like it. Traded it in. 20 bucks, right? And I even thought that, see, see? see? I'm sorry, I got to relive this one, pal. But, uh, but and, and even then, because I was like, you know, I've got to haul these records back with me on the plane. And, you know, if I'm if I'm home and I find a double like that, that I know I can probably make a little little extra because like anybody well like several in the hobby you know i know flipping is kind of frowned upon but i traditionally when i flip records i'm usually using that money and investing in more expensive records right so all that said you one flip it my way (laughs) why hey listen i already gave you the concert buddy pledge if i see one thank you going to so caesar hey chance and rob what's the chat about so just a real quick rewind before i hit rob with another cheryl crow i just i saw um, talking about vinyl regrets, things that we've done in our collecting journeys. It could be a record we saw and didn't pull the trigger on. It could be uh, a practice that we used to do when we first started, and I'll kind of get into that. It could be how you clean your records, that sort of thing. So vinyl regrets, what were they? Did we learn anything? Did we change them? Are we just gluttons for punishment, that sort of thing? All that said, the second Cheryl Crow I saw was, call it nine months, maybe a year after that record store day, one of my locals had it still in shrink, dead stock. And so, like I was just saying before, if you see it, and I'm local, I'm going to get it. I think I moved it around for maybe, I think it was like 20 or 30 bucks retail. I think I sold it for probably 120 And again, money went right back into my collection. So, anyway, I'm sorry. Hit me with the tomato cans for being no, a flipper. Good, but, but I think, honestly, I think, you know, 10 years ago, nobody really cared about flipping no. or any of that stuff. Because everybody was doing it to subsidize their collection. Oh, yeah, I found a, a Robert Ludwig... Uh, you know, Led Zeppelin two for ten dollars at a yard sale, and I sold it for fifty to hundred or whatever it was going back then. It was a way to subsidize the collection. So, anyway, no, if it's Nick, my man, eighty dollars sounds pretty cheap. So very sorry. 
<laughs> Flip it this way if you find multiple. Well, now if you just heard what I told Rob, Rob is first dibs. He is, he is my wingman on this presentation and on the YouTube experience as a whole because we started our channels about the same time. Cheap plug, we had a wonderful conversation about our first year in YouTube. Check it out on the Concert Buddy channel if you are so inclined. But anyway, Rob's got first dibs. Nick, I'll put you down as a strong number two if I see – Tuesday morning is it Tuesday morning music club? Is that what's called? Tuesday night music club. Tuesday night music club. Perfect. Yep. All right. So another one I had when I was kind of thinking, what's some vinyl regrets? Is you know when I first started, because uh, I come from the generation of the well, let's call it a late eighties, early nineties, and I collect same as, same as me. Okay, so I collect baseball cards. Did you collect baseball cards? Absolutely. All right. See, and I've noticed a lot of collectors are of our age or our vintage. We're similar, right? So, and, and I know how people store their records can be a polarizing conversation. But when I first started collecting records, I didn't put them in sleeves or any of that stuff. But as I was moving my understanding of collectibles from the baseball card era, put them in a plastic sleeve. And I used to get these terrible. I, did, I didn't know, you know, because I'm on the Hoffman forums. I'm on Final Collective forums. What's best practices? It's what led me to YouTube. And I would put them in these giant sleeves that were basically oversized saran wrap. <laughs> I th and, and the worst part was they were made by a company that I knew from the baseball card collecting days that made like you know baseball card sleeves. So I was like, oh, great. They've just extended their their, their They got to know what they're doing. They got to know what they're doing. These things were straight up trash. Uh, I mean, you know, apparently they could eat your records because they're not acid free. I mean, there's just so much you learn as you kind of ingratiate yourself with into the hobby and all that stuff. So fortunately, I caught that one early enough. And there was a lot of testing of different types of sleeves, the three mils or the, you know, do I put the record upside down? You know, all that kind of stuff. Anyway, buying bad outer sleeves was one of the first things that was an instant regret almost. And, and I still honestly, in my... <laughs> down in our basement i still have a giant stack of these garbage things that you wouldn't believe oh here we go steve what's up steve hey what's up guys oh thanks for joining man all right rob you're up round two what about a vinyl regret what another oh, vinyl man. regret <clears throat> so <clears throat> as you pointed out i'm about the same age as you i i <clears throat> i started collecting records in in the early 90s when i would have been 14 or so so i was sort of i siphoned some stuff off my dad's collection and and whatever and fa so fast forward to about i don't know 2002 2003 maybe i'm just fresh out of university and uh you know i've got i don't know 50 records 75 records whatever and uh <clears throat> how do i put this i <clears throat> made a very significant uh, mistake in that I, I married a crazy woman <clears throat> in my early twenties, and and that was very short lived. That's a Maury Povich shit going on here, Rob. What's going well, on? <laughs> this this is this is that provides important context. Context. Fair enough. Fair enough. So <clears throat> I'm just out of university. I'm still paying student loans. I'm working at the hardware store. I don't know if I was married to this crazy woman yet, or we were just living together. <clears throat> Thankfully, that didn't last long, and she lives halfway around the world, and whatever. Sure, but I didn't have a stereo at the time. I had, I had my records, and I had a turntable, and I had a Techniques SL twelve hundred, which you know, one that a lot of people like. Sure, and I had, I bought it from somebody for like forty bucks, and it was in great shape, but I didn't have an amplifier, didn't have speakers, so it was just sitting in a closet. And I came home from work one day and the crazy, insane woman that was my wife or whatever she was at the time, she goes, I was doing some cleaning out today and I wanted to make some room. So I gave away your turntable because you never use it. And I had some choice words. Let's say the air was blue. The <laughs> long and short of it was, I don't use it because I don't have the rest of a stereo. You crazy person so <laughs> so is there is a regret meeting this woman who did this heinous heinous deed well, to me <laughs> i mean that is a huge regret obviously of course yeah <laughs> um thankfully that was a very short period of my life but uh uh the the bigger regret was i lost 
my first turntable, which I loved. Well, that's a drag. Yes. Well, well, Steve, you, you hear the topic du jour. I'm hoping you got some goodness because I'm sure you, I know you're a deep collector and you've been doing this probably longer than both Rob and I. Yeah. Where are your so, thoughts on this topic? A lot of my regrets are more stuff that I sold. <coughs> really? Than st I mean, I've run across it. Like, uh, you know, I used to see the Van Halen's like balance and stuff for 25 bucks all the time, you sure, know? Sure. But, and that was like four or five years ago. Uh, you know, and now they're a hundred stuff like that. I don't really regret. I mean, honestly, I'm not a huge fan of those records anyway, but it would be cool to have bought them. But like I had the, uh, the Japanese kiss, um, uh, you know, the, the triple album sets, the originals one and two I had in mint condition mm. and times got hard a few, like uh, seven years ago. And I was out of work and ended up selling a lot of those that were, and they were like selling for two fifty at the time, you know? And or like uh, Sonic Kiss, Sonic Boom, uh, you know, I bought that for like forty bucks and and ended up selling it for like two hundred. Now they're going for like four fifty, you know. <laughs> uh, so it's, it's stuff like that, stuff that I missed out on though. I, I missed out on some really good gear really? back in back in the back when Goodwill still had good stuff. Sure, like I remember, I ran across a really nice uh, uh, a Nakamichi R one hundred tape deck. Which is like a six or seven hundred dollar tape deck, and mm. uh, it was like thirty bucks. And I was gonna buy it, and I was like, "Nah, I'll never use it." And then I, I, I was like, "What am I doing?" And I went back like two hours later; it was gone. Or uh, I remember running across a Bang and Olufsen, a really nice turntable, but it needed a needle, and the Bang and Olufsen needles are like two hundred bucks. Oh, so I was wow. like, ah, "I'm not gonna get that." Well, it was like a thousand dollar turntable, you know. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't realize this until I looked it up later, you know. Or I've run across some real nice, like vintage speakers, some real nice uh, late '60s, early '70s klipsches uh, that are super, super nice, and uh, left mm -hmm. them because I didn't want to deal with it, you know. But uh, so I, I mean, I've had some stuff like that. But as a whole, it's mostly there's a lot of stuff that I sold that I'm not willing to pay the money to replace, you know. No, that's a, a good that, point. A lot of that stuff that that like those Kiss. You know, I'll pay a hundred bucks for them, but I'm not paying four or five hundred bucks what they're going now. You know, yeah, that's that's kind of rough because exactly what we were talking about. You know, we all have reasons we get off of things. Sometimes life changes. Sometimes you're moving. Whatever it is, right? But exactly what you're talking about, like trying to reclaim those things. A couple of years ago, reclaiming them was just you're you're paying a tax. You're paying a maybe a thirty percent tax, and back then thirty percent on call it fifty dollars and the big deal right but it, one's the stupid mind of the collector too because none of those are albums that i'll listen to uh, mm. you know but it's just the fact that i had or uh, another kiss one is the uh, kiss symphony uh, the one where the the three lp symphonic album that they did it's horrible all three albums are terrible but i found it for like 35 bucks sure. and sold it for like 350 uh, you know and then like a year later i was like fuck man i shouldn't have sold that i mean i'll never listen to it but it's just that that little thing in your head, you know. That twitch, yeah. Now this this is one I, I saw this one come in. Let me throw this up here. So Caesar says he regrets not buying the OG Nirvana Nevermind when he first started collecting fifteen years ago. It's probably like two hundred. and I thought it was expensive. Now it's a thousand bucks. That's yeah. That's cool. another album that sounds terrible too. The original, I think the original sound like I watched the the, the reason I I got it was old uh, Ingroove Mike did a shootout. And I had actually been leaning toward, you know, again, before I knew any better. Oh, MoFi. The MoFi has got to be the best. And Mike, Ingram, Mike did that shootout. And he's like, no, get the OG. And I'm glad I did. One is a better investment. And two, things I've learned about since about that, obviously the MoFi thing as a whole. But that particular release, it's, it's to, to think I was going to spend $500 potentially on that record. I mean, I avoided a big mistake. I prefer the German pressing the, uh, the one from a few years ago, the Palace one. Yeah, yeah, that's not bad. That's a I like that one because Bur yeah, Bernie Bernie did that one. If I'm not mistaken, right? Didn't he master that one, or is it? I'm not. I don't even know who mastered it. Mm -hmm. But that's also one of those albums too. That man, I, I had an original, I, and I sold it to a buddy. It was like his all-time favorite album, so I hooked him up. Uh, but I mean, I lived through that, and I'll probably never listen to that album again. They're, they're, I don't know. That album just didn't hold up like the other Seattle bands did. Like Allison Chain still sounds as good today as it did in '91. Same thing with Soundgarden. Nirvana doesn't have that same appeal for me. Yeah. Now, Jason Rojas, I actually thought of you kind of when I was formulating this idea for the uh, the impromptu. So Jason says, "Having vinyl regrets." 
<laughs> multiple emojis. Just remember, you can always get the record again at either a lower or higher price. At least you can decide what price is right for you. It's very sage advice. I, I Like I said, I was thinking of Jason when I was kind of coming up with this. But at the same time, there are the records that, yeah, you, you, can, you can always find them, right? But there are some records like, what's that one, Fraction, Blood Moon? Have you seen that one? That's like a psych. I mean, it's like a eight to eight to ten thousand dollar record. Not that it was ever something for me, but I've seen obviously Dylan Noble. A lot of those crazy expensive it. records like that aren't even really great records. They just it's just the, the novelty, the collect, yeah, the collectability of it. Sure. Like uh, what's what's the uh, uh, something? What is it? Is it Weed Hound or Grass Hound or whatever it is? Leaf Hound. Uh, the Leaf Hound record is like that. It's like a three thousand, four thousand dollar psych record. Yeah, or it's it's like uh, hard psych, early hard proto metal type of stuff. Okay, there's a couple of really good songs on it, but that pro those prices are crazy, you know. So I thought it was going to be this amazing album. So when they did a reissue like five or six years ago, I bought it and I was like, eh, that's it, you know. It's not like it's not a bad album. Don't get me wrong, but it's not a a, a three thousand, four thousand dollar record. It's not a it's not a used Honda Accord. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad to see Vinyl Richie has joined us. He said most of my favorite albums sound like shit. So <laughs> I, I can't help but wonder. You mentioned the baseball card analogy from when you and I were teenagers, and I gotta wonder if we're in that same bubble like baseball cards were in the early '90s, right? Everything was. 10 times worth what it should be. And now that vinyl's at its height, you know, I hope it never subsides, but I just, I can't help but wonder if maybe, <clears throat> maybe we're on that bubble. No, I think there are some parallels there because if you think about, think about baseball card collecting back then, we didn't know it as the kids or teenagers no. or whatever, but they were printing, they were mass producing, same thing with the comic book industry back then. They were mass producing these pieces and obviously they weren't telling numbers, but I mean, the Griffey Jr. number one upper deck, you know, all those kind of Hallmark cards. I mean, if you hear the stories now that they're like warehouses sitting on thousands of these things that have diluted and devalued it. So I yep. think it, there's probably some truth in that in the current state, particularly, you know, you guys have seen it. There's so many different goofy color variants. Now they're doing cover variants. Like if you get the retail uh, of a version of an album from Target, it's got an exclusive, you know, there's all these exclusives and FOMOs and there's all the same kind of, predatory retail nonsense so I, there's probably plus if you think about the new the folks new to collecting in the last let's call it the last three covid years right like it's yeah it, it's for lack of a better word kind of predatory because it's the people who are kind of getting into it and they get swallowed up in the tide of that fomo and yeah yeah the, i mean the 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 covid years it's true for audiophile stuff but for regular records it started, the prices started going up about five, six years ago. It started before the pandemic. Uh, you know, the pandemic made the audiophile stuff crazy. Sure. Where it was selling out in a day. But uh, the uh, re regular records as a whole, uh, they've gone up a little bit. I think it's worse in Canada. I have, I have friends up in Canada. It's, it's pretty bad up there. And the prices have shot way up. There's <laughs> certain places here in the U.S. That, that are jacking the prices up. But most of it's not shit that I'm buying anyway, you know. It's it's more the pop and the and the uh, yeah, just the popular music in general. Uh, sure. You know, most metal I can still get a double album for about thirty five bucks and a single album for under thirty bucks. So uh, for the reissues, we're anyway. up sixty. We're up sixty percent for the price of new vinyl in Canada right now. Yeah, I've, I've talked to a I've got a couple friends up in Canada that have said the prices up there are getting ridiculous. Yeah, so. so so Trevor's flat, round, and spun vinyl community looks like a regret for him is in 1990, I was working in a warehouse of a Detroit record chain. I regret not getting all these new release first pressing for about $10 each as vinyl is phasing out. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of people, especially if you were hip to it, and I say hip to it, just you knew, or you were already listening to records. Because like a lot of people, and this is what the, again, another predatory thing is the music industry tries to get you to jump formats, right? Because... They wanted to push you CD is the best, and they push you to CD and streaming anyway. So, what what a time! What a time! If you could have been in like the late '90s and actually listened to records, and you know, I'm always amazed when I talk to collectors who actually held on to their stuff from back then. I think Jason Ross may be one of them. He 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 built a lot of his collection when people were down on records. But I mean, I was in the music scene, and I knew very little people, very few people that actually kept their kept their collections. Uh, you know, well, nor well, Mazzy says he, I mean, I believe him. I mean, he's he said he's kept 
what 70 percent of his collection over the years i know obviously he's, he's talked about getting rid of it and stuff so Joe yeah, that's one good thing that's uh, for Vinyl Richie. That's the one good thing about punk. A lot of the punk labels have been, have remained honest, and yes. uh, you know they're still selling their records for twenty five bucks and under. And then I've got friends that that have labels, and they tried to make the argument, oh, but it costs this much. I was like, I know how much because I, I looked at, at pressing some records a few years ago, mm-hmm. and you know they said, well, we charge forty bucks because we're only making like four dollars. I was like, yeah, you're full of it, man. I know what it costs to to do a run of three hundred records, you know. Yeah, isn't that the Making, minimum is three hundred? Your money on it, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah there's a lot of that. There's a lot of shadiness. And they say, "Oh, well, we're doing limited runs, so it's more expensive." A lot of these punk labels are only doing runs of like a hundred fifty, two hundred and fifty, and they're still selling them for twenty five bucks a piece. So, uh, you know, a lot of it's just marking stuff way up because Sony's doing it, or, or you know, you can get away with it. So, yeah, usually it's especially when the bigger labels are doing it and they keep pressing, pushing those price points up and up and up. They're trying to test that price elasticity. Like there's definitely a lot of that going up. Cause if you think back even as recent as like a year ago, remember there was that news about, Oh, you know, the new price list. I think it was uh, toad hall records had a video, but he got a new price list from his, for his distributors. Some of that came to fruition. Some of it didn't, but then that guy marks his stuff way up anyway. He, uh, I, I looked at, I remember during the pandemic, some of the MoFi stuff he was getting direct. He, he gets it direct from MoFi and he was charging $20 over the, the MoFi MSRP, oh. uh, $20 more than everybody else was. So I, I stopped, I unsubscribed from his stuff and I was like, yeah, screw this guy. I don't mind, you know, marking your stuff up a little bit, but. Uh, you know, s- stuff like that where you're just jacking up the price like that to be a dick, you know. Rob, why do you jack the prices up in your industry? Make more money. <laughs> you son of a gun. Yeah, the RSD prices have gotten a little crazy, too. Yeah, Vinyl Richie, the RSD prices this year are high. But the bad thing about the RSD prices is the record stores are getting screwed on that because... Yeah, that's it. That's I've like five friends that own record stores. They're only getting like three bucks a record. Uh, on the record store day crazy. Uh, you know they they jack up the price but they also jack up the wholesale too so they're all getting screwed on that so the only so it used to be um one of the record stores here would do record store day and he didn't even do a lot <laughs> but from what he made from record store day he would make his rent for the entire year just on that one day and wow. he said now he he barely breaks even on a lot of that stuff because there's, he has to get so much, and then a quarter of it won't sell. Right. And because of a quarter of it won't sell, he's basically losing that couple bucks that he made off every record. So I said it's it's not even worth it anymore. So he still brings in stuff for record store day, but he has to he discounts everything in his store twenty percent for that day, so that he still makes a profit. Mm. And he does it through the discount in the rest of the store, not from the actual record store day stuff. So. Yeah, that's kind of that's kind of turned into a scam too. And the only guys that are making big money on record store day are doing stuff like that. They're they're doing a big sale. They're having bands come in. Sure. Uh, you know, Billy Hurst has bands come in and play all day long. He has a food truck come yeah. out. He, yeah. he discounts everything in the store, and he makes good money because of that. It has nothing to do with uh, the record, <laughs> record store days. Half of that stuff doesn't sell, and he's ended up putting it on on uh, eBay the next or eBay on uh, yeah on eBay and stuff. A couple days later, discogs when they're allowed to. So yeah, it's 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 it, that's kind of turned into a screw job too. Yeah, that's kind of a regret, and I, I I can see where it went. I mean, obviously, we just were kind of kidding about chasing the dollar a second ago, but it's true because if you think back, when I first started going to record store day, two thousand ten, two thousand eleven, like there was a different kind of vibe. I mean, obviously people were still camping out a lot of this. I mean, a lot of the same habits, right. But you know, and there were still the flippers, there would be the guys coming out with the big stacks and whatever, but it seemed like more record stores had live music. Exactly what you're talking about, Steve, yeah. what, what Billy does, uh, monster music. I was there last year in South Carolina, you know, they try to make it an event. Some of them are just literally just ordering it and treating it just, just, just as widgets. You know what I mean? Like just trying to move through them. So the, the, the vibe has definitely changed when it comes to record store, not just the price, um, I do. I will say, you know, they do a nice job of curating things that probably wouldn't have come to light if if the hobby hadn't exploded. So it's you know it's kind of a catch twenty, right? I still go and I still buy a shitload of records only because 
you never know which because I, I usually don't get the ones where it's a first press. So it'll say RSD first, yep. which means it's going to get repressed a couple months later in a different color. But if it's an RSD exclusive or, or, or an exclusive like that, I'll usually get it just because you never know which one of those is going to shoot up in price and you're not going to be able to get it a couple days later, you know? And yeah. I've, that's happened a few times where there were records I really wanted um, and I couldn't make it for record store day. And it happens that the one or two that I wanted are the ones that are even today are like three, 400 bucks, you know? And you never know which ones that's going to happen with, you know? You mean Miley Cyrus bangers? Do you regret passing on? That I actually record? have that record, please. And a voice, so do I. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I actually have that record. Yeah, that, and here's a, here's a here's an even cooler thing. I didn't buy it on Record Store Day. There was a uh, there used to be a uh, a raffle uh, Facebook page where everybody pays a couple bucks for the raffle. Okay, and 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 you you pay like a dollar per spot or whatever, and then they would do some really good records, like three four hundred dollar records, you know. Unfortunately, that 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 Facebook page just kind of died off. Nobody uses it anymore. But uh, I put like two dollars in on the Miley Cyrus raffle and got that for two two bucks. And I think it's going for like seven hundred bucks now. Yeah, (laughs) it's it's crazy. There's that one, and then I think she did. I I know too much about this, by the way. There, she did a picture disc for her web store that I found in a a half price books like a couple years later. So I have both of them. But that one too. I mean, silly money. That's like. If uh, if I'm in dire straits and I just need to get off of something, I mean that stuff will go like that. Yeah, it's pretty wild. I actually like her. She does. I like the stuff she did with uh, what was the band that the the psych bear, not the psych band, but oh, uh, um, she the 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 dead pets. Oh, I know what you're talking about. The God bless. Yeah, I like the I like the weird alternative stuff that she does like that, and I like that last album that she did where it was all basically Joan Jett, you know. I like her rock stuff. Um, I know that she. Uh, I could live uh, without the pop stuff she does, but Wayne Coy. What? What? Rob, put you on the spot. What is his band? Come is on. Is it Animal Collective? No. No. It is. Oh, I, I can't believe I have to look this one up because I should know this one. Here we go. Oh, what a dope! Oh, 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 lips. Flaming lips. Son mm-hmm. of a gun. You're better at YouTube. You're better at Google than I am. I don't know why I couldn't get that out. It, yeah. I was thinking because they played a festival years ago, and I remember them because they did like their thing where they're in the plastic bubble and they go in there. Anyway, yeah. Son of a gun. Yeah, yeah. Nathaniel got it. <laughs> Way to go. Way to go. You win the Google Wars, Nathaniel. I appreciate you. No, but I have gotten some cool. Like they did a Waylon Jennings a few years ago where they only did like 200 of them. And I was lucky enough to get that, but they've stopped doing that really exclusive stuff now. They they're not doing that anymore. Like I have a couple of friends that got stuff pressed for Record Store Day, and Record Store Day said that the minimum they would allow them to press was like twenty five hundred or thirty five hundred. Hmm. And uh, and I think part of that is there's so many record stores now that that there's more record stores than there are records getting pressed. Oh, I totally believe it. Look, look, look at, hey, look, look no further than the Macho Man Be a Man release for this record store day. They're only making a thousand of them. Billy and I were just talking about this over the weekend, actually. You think there's probably nationwide, just in the U.S., call it 1,500 independent record stores. So that's not even one per store. You know, some stores maybe will pass, but those kind of things that that kind of, I mean, not that everyone's running out and getting a Randy Savage rap record like, well, not just that, though. It gets even shadier because, like, two of the stores that were involved in getting Record Store Day started are here in Atlanta, and they'll both get, like, 30 copies of those records, uh, you know? Bull Moose will get, like, 150 oh, copies of Bull those. Moose, yeah. It doesn't matter how few there are. It, you know, Criminal Records, Bull Moose, a couple of the guys that were involved in actually starting um, Record Store Day make sure that they get a huge allotment, you know? Yeah, that guy at Bull Moose, his name escapes me. He used to make those preview videos. Yeah. years ago he was one, but turns out like you're saying steve he was one of the founders of the yeah. whole record store day thing so, so yeah you, them the guys from criminal and uh, you know and i just refuse <laughs> to get in those lines uh, you know i could go to criminal downtown because they, they do get crazy numbers like that but i'm not the guy that's going to spend the night to get some records you know whereas there's a record store right down the road that gets a huge allotment too True. and i can get there at like five in the morning and be number one or two in line you know so, J- Jason, you're making a good point again. You're making a lot of good points tonight. I know some record stores that don't participate in RSD, 
And if they've got cool used records and promoto sale, then most do very well that day. Exactly what you're saying. Well, it's like I said, Jason, I know uh, I know quite a few record stores now. They'll still bring in the record store day stuff just so they can advertise it and get people from different towns to come in. But they're not making money off of that. They put everything in the store on sale for 10% or 20% off. Um, they bring in live music. They bring in food trucks, uh, you know, and they make a whole event out of it. And every one of the guys I know that do a huge event like that do end up doing really well, better than a lot of the stores that exclusively bring in a shitload of record store day stuff where they're only making a couple bucks per record. Yeah. Hey, another regret that I had on my list when I was planning so diligently before I threw this live stream up was, and I, I was just talking to actually Robert Fifth and over the weekend about this because he was at Billy's store and whatever. Yeah. And he just did a video about getting the humming guru, which is the, ultrasonic cleaner du jour right right now well he enjoys it everyone i have talked to that has one do you have one? Oh, it, oh there it right is there. yep product placement well done steve um everyone i've talked to seems to enjoy it i'm assuming you enjoy yours steve oh yeah it's, I, so I've, I've gone through every level so i obviously i did the i think i got a disc cleaner here somewhere that i've had for like 20 years mm -hmm. i bought a uh, what's the the spin clean yep. about a decade ago? I used that for a couple years. Um, I went from that to the record doctor, which is on the floor over there, which is a a vacuum a vacuum machine. Uh, and then now I've got this, and this blows away everything else that I've used. Well, I I love the technology. I actually have a degrader, and Rob's heard me. I think Rob, you're on one of these streams where I was talking about. I used my whole tax refund and just went for yeah. it, right? Um, but my regret is literally the more I hear people talk about the humming guru because you're literally talking about the cost of a humming guru is yeah 450 you know, bucks with, 15, with all the 15, stuff yeah 15 percent or 20 percent of what a degrader costs and so I love the degrader it's actually right over here it's very sleek I I was a sucker for that Steve Jobs design and all that kind yeah. of stuff right but honestly my regret is I probably should have just not bit on the FOMO pill. And just because I could have got a humming guru for up here and a humming guru for not, not that well, I'm I remember to... looking at, I don't remember what the one there, there used to be a, a bigger one. It, you know, it, it's like this tall with the, with the, it was one of the first ultrasonics from years ago. It's been it, around for like 10 like years. It's like Vevco or something. Does that sound I, yeah, familiar? I don't remember. And I remember looking at that. It was like 6,000 bucks. I was like, Ooh. man, I bet that thing <laughs> cleans up nice, but that's fucking crazy, you know? And then not the degritter, but another one came out and then the degritter came out. And I remember looking at those. I just, it just wasn't worth that money to me. And then even when the Humming Guru came out, because it, it looked so cheap, I was like, yeah, I don't know about that, right. you know? Right. And actually after talking to Patrick a little bit, because Patrick was the same as me. I mean, Patrick has a VPI, mm. uh, you know, which is a, a thousand dollar or eight hundred nine hundred dollar machine too and he's like he doesn't even use that anymore he, it's down in his garage if something's like really messed up he'll put it on there yeah but he said he's used that like twice since he got the humming guru and i haven't used my my vacuum machine a single time since i got it so and i actually just got a second tank in the mail a couple days ago there you go so that I can do the the turgid clean in one and then fresh water in the other. So is is that what does Patrick have two machines or do you just have two tanks? I remember him saying No, he has two machines. Okay, that's what I thought. But he has extra tanks too, so he can swap out the tanks. Yeah. So because he'll he'll clean two at the same time. So um, I just do them as well. And my thing, my problem with the spin clean was the spin clean's kind of a pain in the ass. You got to <laughs> set it up, and then yes. you want to clean a bunch of records at the same time. And I, I would have, that's the reason my piles back here are so big is because I would wait until I had like 50 or 60 numbers yeah. to pull out the spin clean and go through all the, all the, the hassle of it. Um, you know, so I would have stuff just sit back here forever until I was in the mood to go through the whole cleaning process, you know, and with the humming guru, I mean, it cleans it and dries it within yeah. like four minutes. And it's literally, I pull it off and pop it in the record player and when you get towards the ends of your record, it's quiet enough that you can get the other record started, mm. uh, you know, and have another record ready to go. Yeah, so that's perfect for me. And 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 I'm somebody that listens to records all day. So sure, sure. I've probably I've had that for about two months. I've probably put 300 records through it, mm. and uh, I haven't had a single one that I've that that it hasn't done a good job on. So. Uh -oh. uh oh what's up man international sex symbol one and only vinyl richie <laughs> what is up sir how are you 
Vinyl I'm Richie good. washes his records with turpentine. Yeah, I was going to say, do you use Clorox to clean your records, or what are you using these days, Rich? Just a brush? A brush. I got one of those, yeah. too. Yeah. I, I have a spin, a spin clean, but I don't really... I haven't used it for a while. But uh, I'm thinking of getting a Humming Guru, and, and I'm... It is. I mean, I say this, but I probably won't. I think the best thing would probably run it through the spin clean and then run it through the humming guru. And I think you would have a really nice, clean record. I thought about that. So I thought about at first I would run it through the, the vacuum machine, you know, because the brush would get in there deep and then put it through the humming guru. But there was stuff that I had cleaned two or three times on my vacuum machine that still had like little pops and stuff. And one cycle through the humming guru and that shit was gone. So yeah. I haven't even I haven't even done that. I've just been using the Humming Guru by itself. And um, the only record, actually, I take that back. I pulled the the vacuum machine out once, but it was for like a 1960s 45 that was all caked with dirt and shit that I didn't want to put in the in the ultra the ultrasonic first. I wanted to get it clean first. Yeah, so that's the only time I've actually pulled my vacuum machine out again. Yeah, I have some 60s records that I, I do want to get cleaned. And the thing with the spin clean, I think it cleans the surface yeah. actually better than the Humming Guru. It, like the fingerprints and visually. I think the Humming Guru will get into the grooves better than the spin clean. Yeah. Oh, no, it, de it definitely does. But like I said, if I've got some that are too dirty, like most of the stuff... A lot of the used stuff that I get, that if it's messed up like that, I'll probably throw it on the, the vacuum machine first and clean it. But uh, I haven't had to yet. It does. Like, I did have one recently where it was brand new. It came with fingerprints on it from the factory. Uh, you <laughs> Bonus. Know. Bonus. And, it, yeah, the Humming Guru won't get those fingerprints off. But Hey, don't clean those off. There's probably a felon that was working in there, and you probably could help solve a mystery like Robert Stack would want you to. <laughs> It's the limited edition fingerprint. Yeah, limited edition. You know, a cocaine uh, mule runner working in the, the plant. See, a cocaine cowboy. Yeah, yeah. Why, why, take a piece of tape and lift those prints before you clean them, because you never know. You could solve them. <coughs> oh, that's funny, Rob. What, you have a spin clean, right? Is that your is that your cleaner du jour? All right. I know we talked about this before. Are you getting closer to joining the ultra revolution? Oh no. Well, here's what's funny. It was it was it's been a noticeable difference. So like the spin clean, like I said, I use that for probably six or seven years. And then I bought the record cleaning machine and I use that for a couple of years. And it was better than the spin clean. And this one is, is, is it's actually quite a bit better than, than my, my uh, vacuum machine is. So Rob hit us with what? a hot take. What, what's this controversial take you're about to land? Well, I just, I, I, <clears throat> I'm wrong, but that's fine. Uh, my it's it's my personal preference, and it's what I do in my music room. And I I, I don't preach record cleaning to anybody. You can do whatever the hell you want. I yeah, don't. Sure. I don't think it's is it important to have clean records? Absolutely. The spin clean does fine for what I need it to do. I don't. For my personal preference. Well, here's a funny. Most of us, none of us cleaned our records back in the '80s. Well, that's back, the thing, you know. Like my, we had a disc, we had a disc or what? What? What was it called? Uh, dishwasher, dishwasher. It was yeah, we had a little dishwasher brush. My dad still got it at, at his house, but that's the most that we ever did, you know. I think most of my records really don't need to be cleaned, you know. But I do have some to do. Well, are you the type? I mean, do you take good care of your stuff, Rich, or do you just, I mean, just don't play it that often, or why? Why? Why do you have to? Why aren't you joining the Cleaving Revolution like the rest of us? Well, some of these '60s records, like these psych records, I, I have, I think they could use a deep clean, you know. Sure. But most of the new records I buy, they they play fine. I mean, it, for me, it's very it's an exception when I get a new record that doesn't sound good, so. Even if it comes in, I, the, I don't have a twenty thousand dollars setup either. You know? Yeah, you don't. <laughs> Come no. on, you, you don't have what speakers for fifty bucks. Uh, hey, you're not listening to punk unless you got a hundred thousand dollars speaker. <laughs> <laughs> Ask Henry Rollins; he'll tell you. <laughs> that's the only way to listen to it. Oh, that's too funny. Uh, that's good, just funny good stuff. You know the other the other thing I was thinking about, and maybe you guys don't feel this way, but. Vinyl Me Please, right? I don't know if you guys have ever bought Vinyl Me Please records. But the regret I have is 
And I still have this regret in the way they ship the product because they use these terrible mailers. It's a whole nother thing. But yeah. but the way that they're loading these new records in the <coughs> sleeves, I don't know what changed, but well, I do. Partly it's 180 gram vinyl. Partly they load these damn things into paper sleeves or even if they're not paper sleeves where the, the opening of the inner sleeve is basically pointing to the top of the jacket. And then if it's not packed right, which I think is part of the problem, when that thing's moving around, especially if you're ordering it mail order, that shit will bust right through. Kills me. And finally, please, for all the good that they do, and they do have some nice titles, and I'm not talking about color variants and all that bullshit, but when they do it right, they do it right. But that is one thing that them, and they're not, it's not exclusive to them. There's a lot of manufacturers are doing this, going back to the prison, the prison workers who are just slamming them in there. Like, it, it drives me up a wall. I've gotten it from all of them. Vinyl me, please. I've, I, I would say three records a year get they have to replace. Yeah. And I will say they're good now. Back in the day, it was a nightmare to get a Vinyl Me Please replace like five or six years ago. And I stopped use or stopped subscribing for a while. And then when they brought back the, the country stuff or sure. when they brought the country um, track, whatever they call it out, I started again. But nowadays they replace it. No questions asked. And they, they don't even ask you to re send it back. They, they tell you to give it to a friend the other copy so yeah sorry i know rob just joined he he won my contest and i and the, the big prize was a vinyl me please gift card so so he's new to his journey so i'm definitely not trying to poo-poo the experience but steve <laughs> steve's exactly right i mean their customer service for the most part is pretty good but they did go in this period where when they're you know when i first joined 2017 or whenever it was they were pretty good about replacing records then they got in this period where they weren't they were just giving like a five dollar credit some kind of nonsense like that but when they took their prices up, I think the time before last, they've done it twice in the last three years. Um, then they got back to the like replacing it, no questions asked. Because Steve, you probably remember this. They were they were wanting footage. If you had a warpy record, like kind of like Chad Casim requires, they want physical. Either you got to break it. That you makes you destroy the record. I mean, it, it, it's <laughs> like I had the the UHQR Miles Davis. I had to destroy three of them, literally drill holes in them. And send them the pictures with the holes drilled into them, and then they would send me a replacement. Yeah, and and I, I, I give them credit. That Clarity Vinyl is hard to break. You, you were smart. You used the drill. I was trying I, to hammer. No, I, I was trying all kinds of shit. No, I used were, the drill because I tried to break it and couldn't get the fucking thing to break. So I, I ended up getting a drill and drilling holes in it. <laughs> Insane. Insane. Yeah, no, it's... Uh, yeah, unless they come up with some something super amazing, I won't be buying any more of those UHQRs, though. Really? So the Exodus is the last one you're getting? Unless they unless they come out with something amazing that I just love and have to have, you know. I just haven't had a good... Only two of them have been quiet of the six that I bought. The rest of them I've had replaced multiple times. They still were never quiet pressing, so I'm pretty much done with them. I can't see spending over 100 bucks for a new record. It's tough. Maybe some rare psych record I would, but a new record? No way, dude. What, what's, if I can ask, what's the most you've ever bought for or paid for a record, Rich? It's probably close to 200. Okay. It was like 180, I don't know, something like that. And was it like a punk, like a real rare punk record, or what was the story behind it? No, it was a 60 psych record. Okay. Those psych records, we were talking about that earlier. I mean, that's just... Shit, you want to talk about a time machine? My son's always asking me, if you could go back in time, where would you go? Shit, I'd go back to like 1966 and just swoop up all this shit and bury it in the ground somewhere, and it literally would be liquid gold for me today. Load Crazy. up the DeLorean, man. Yeah, load up the DeLorean. Forget forget, uh, you know, getting Sophia Loren back when she was in her 20s or any of that fun stuff. I'm loading up with some psych records, and I'm freaking living on a beach in Tikiki or one of those places I can't even pronounce. Now, the only thing that drives me nuts about the UHQRs is everything else they release is quieter than their their their, their super quiet vinyl, you know? That makes sense, you know? Yeah, it drives me nuts that that everything else they release is dead quiet. And then the, the, the quietest, lowest nose floor or uh, noise floor is the loudest vinyl that they're releasing. It, it drives me nuts. Uh, yeah, so. yeah, that Miles, I mean, is that the one you had to put the drill in to, Steve? Because I, I heard a lot yeah. of stories back then that... That Miles, they took a lot of heat for QC on that stuff. Now, I will say this, so, so, so I'm going to give Richie some credit here, because, you know, when, when Chad Kassam would jump on these streams here here periodically, right, as he's prone to do, Richie is one of the few people that would just, just it wouldn't blast him, but you wouldn't, <laughs> you, you wouldn't kiss the ring like it happens a lot when he blesses us with his presence. I, I, I think it was 
shit, was a year or two ago, he was on some stream. Rich just jumped on there and <laughs> he wasn't having it. Loved it. Loved it. Who is this guy? I don't even know. It's not my realm at all. Yeah, he did. He did. Richie just joined it from his. Was it your laundry room or your the bunker? And yeah, I think like, I was in the laundry room or maybe outside. Yeah, yeah and Richie and, and Richie is like everybody's who, like kissing his ass, and I'm going, who, who the fuck? Is this well, guy if you is? question him, or if you question him, or, or you're critical at all, he like gets all pissed off and throws a fit. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I, what did you tell me? That was funny. Oh, uh, shit. I, what did he say? Oh, shut the fuck up, dude, or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was awesome. Yeah, I was on there for that one. That was fun. Yeah, Aaron, too. Aaron Aaron likes to, to fuck with him just to try to get him to pissed off, too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Rob, do you have any other vinyl regrets? Put a bow on this topic and just get streaming for a little bit longer after that. I mean, uh, yeah, I'm sure. They, I mean, they're all they're all in the same vein of things I saw and I didn't pick up. But I mean, a, a common one <clears throat> that I'm sure a lot of people have is I didn't buy the Beatles mono box. No, sure. Now I have, I, I bought them all individually. So I have them, but I don't have the box, which means I don't have the book and the books that are in those are fantastic. So I'm never going to have it. Cause what the hell's the point in buying it? I already have all the mono pressing. I thought about buying it a couple times. The first and the second pressing, I almost bought it, but I don't listen to the first five records from the Beatles. And exactly. that's the main thing to buy the, the, the box for, you know what I mean? I, I'm, I'm a Beatles into... nerd. I've got, I've got hundreds of Beatles records. So it makes sense for me. I just, at the time when it came out, I didn't have, 350 bucks or whatever the hell it cost and now i kick myself and i've got a japanese the, the japanese blue box that i'm about to sell because i never listened to it you know like I've, i bought the recent box sets for all the uh, i like everything after help it, yeah. that's the beatles that i like anything before that i've got copies of it um nice pressings but i'll never listen to them Maybe yeah I, I think one day help was a turning point i think was you Help is the one that I would listen to the most out of uh, of those early ones, but you know when I was young, see, and my dad's the opposite. He likes he likes the first four. That's his like sweet. He doesn't like the later stuff. So, um, so I grew up listening to the early albums because that's what he loved. You know, sure, sure. But then as I got older and got into drugs, I, I liked the later albums. <laughs> oh, fuck <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> so. Oh, good stuff. All right, well, I'm going to put a wrap on the, the regrets conversation because I'll throw this on the pod. If, if you want to listen to yourself again, fellas, this will be on the podcast tomorrow. And that was another trip around the turntable. Thanks for listening to Vinyl Community Podcasts.